On today's show, a Locked on Rockets listener mailbag. What is Jay Shantate's role this upcoming season for the Rockets? What about Amin Thompson's impact, the expectations for his rookie season? What's the best style of play for this young Rockets team? And who's on my own personal Rockets Mount Rushmore? That and so much more coming up right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. Throw it up to Jalen Green. Shingun here in the short row. Oh my, that's the no look. Jabari for three and the win. Yeah! Look at Tarisen. Here comes Tarisen. No! T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. The Houston Rockets select Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore. One thing I have never done is not made the playoffs, and so we want to take that step here as well. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin and the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcast, including YouTube. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on the way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for making LOR part of your day every single day. I promised a listener mailbag, and that was a little bit earlier this month. Had some things kind of, you know, popping up here and there, getting in the way of being able to get this knocked out, but I promised it. So here we are. Thank you to everybody who chimed in, dropped in a question, whether it was via Twitter, YouTube, wherever. Thank you for reaching out, sharing your thoughts. Uh, a lot to tackle on today's show. A lot of really good questions here. However, I got an overwhelming number of questions about one thing in particular. Like five or six different people asked about Jay Sean Tate and what his role is going to be this upcoming season for the Rockets. And so that's where we want to start things off on today's episode. Because I feel like Jay Sean Tate has become a bit of a like polarizing figure amongst Rockets fans. I feel like there are some Rockets fans, and I feel like it's, I can't even say we're in the vocal minority here. I feel like there's some Rockets fans that are still cautiously optimistic about the type of role that Jay Sean Tate can have on this team and the impact that he can have, myself included. And then I feel like there's the overwhelming majority of Rockets fans who are just they're ready for Jay Sean Tate to be shipped off to the next team. They're ready for him to be gone. They're ready for him to not be in a Rockets jersey anymore. And I don't necessarily quite understand why. And well, let me backtrack. I kind of get it, right? So let's look at, let's weigh things here before we get into what his role is actually going to look like. Right, Jay Sean Tate, he's a bit of an older player. Um, you know, he, especially this past season, he, I think, was a bit more tunnel visioned, focused on getting his own shots. Although I feel like you could say that about the entire team. Missed a chunk of the year due to injury. Uh, obviously has been, you know, stuck in, you know, with just as much of the Silas tax as Jalen Green or Alperin Shingun or any of these other young players on this team. But he is a bit older, right? He's not necessarily part of the quote-unquote young core uh, that this team has. But I do think he can have a really positive impact on these guys. First off, he is absolutely the type of player that Ime Odoka just adores, right? Defense first, gritty mentality, Hustle guy, glue guy, all that stuff. That's exactly who Jay Sean Tate is. As a leader, he is invaluable for this young Rockets team, right? He is a guy whose voice carries weight in that Rockets locker room. And it might not have mattered as much this past season or these past couple years when there were very little to almost no expectations and the team knew they were going to be bad every year going in, all that. That suddenly changes, right? You need guys to be able to hold other guys accountable when there are standards, right? When there are expectations that have to be met. And Jay Sean Tate, along with Fred Van Vliet, 
and Dylan Brooks and Jock Landale and Jeff Green, all these veteran voices, even though you don't think of Jay Sean Tate as a vet, he is older than all these other young kids, right? He's not another 20, 21-year-old kid. He's a guy who's had to work his ass off to get to where he is as an NBA player. And those guys respect him, right? His voice carries a lot of weight in that locker room. So for his role this next season, internally, the Rockets as an organization are still incredibly high on what Jay Sean Tate brings to the table, as am I, frankly, because he's a guy that defends at a high level. Yes, he fouls a lot. So does Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks, a lot of the NBA elite defenders foul at a very high level. I need to go pull the list because a lot of the NBA's top defenders are like in the top 10 of like, you know, fouls per 36 or whatever the, whatever the metric is. Um, and Dylan Brooks is right there with the rest of them. So yes, he fouls a lot. Sometimes the fouls are kind of stupid fouls. I get that. Hopefully that's something that Ime can help him cut back on. But his role this next season isn't going to be anything, you know, much different than it's been in the past. Although I do think his, I think positionally on the court, it'll shift a little bit. And that's kind of the biggest uh, thing for me moving into this next season as I think Jay Sean Tate is going to play more on the wing this next season than he will at the four spot or even at times as an undersized five, not necessarily being on the front line, right? There's not really a reason why Jay Sean Tate should ever, he's probably at times going to be the third biggest guy on the floor, whereas in the past, like when he was starting alongside Christian Wood, he was like the second biggest guy on the court playing the power forward spot. And when you're six foot four and that's your power forward position, you've got a six ten, six eleven. Christian Wood is your five. You're just begging for teams to steamroll you in the rebounding department, right? I think him transitioning more towards playing on the wing, he's still a bit undersized at six four, but his role is going to be very similar to Dylan Brooks, right? When he's out there, he's going to take the toughest defensive assignment. He's going to allow the Rockets to play a very versatile switch everything defense when he's out there. And offensively, he did get a bit more tunnel vision this past season. Again, I think you could say that, make that argument about everybody on this team. But offensively, I'm really, really hoping we see him get back more so, more so towards his rookie and sophomore season roots where he was kind of that point forward-esque you know, facilitator where he would defend at a high level, but he would also set really high quality screens. He would roll. He would make passes out of the short roll. He would drive and kick to shooters open on the perimeter. Kind of some of the things that we saw that gave us that little miniature vision of like a mini Draymond Green-esque for the Rockets, right? That's where so much of the hype came from Jay Sean Tate during his rookie and sophomore seasons. And that kind of, you know, fell off a little bit this past year. And it's unfortunate that it did because to me, I think Jay Sean Tate can absolutely still be a really important part of any eight or nine man rotation in the NBA, especially a team that wants to take a step in the right direction and move forward and be a better team. Jay Sean Tate is a winning basketball player. He hasn't had a chance to really showcase that a ton because the Rockets have been a bad team ever since he made it to Houston. But I do think and, I, you know, me plus like a, a very small minority of Rockets fans are cautiously optimistic about the impact that he'll be able to have this upcoming season and that his role, I, I kind of think we're in for a, a Jay Sean Tate renaissance, if you will. I think that he's going to come out and surprise a lot of people. And I think a lot of Rockets fans are actually going to be eating their own words when they see just how impactful and important he could be to this team. I will say all of that with the caveat that Ime Odoka has said multiple times now, you will have to earn your keep. You will have to earn your role on this team. There is a possibility that in training camp, Cam Whitmore outplays Jay Sean Tate, right? And Cam Whitmore could very easily earn those backup small forward minutes behind Dylan Brooks. Do I think that's a likely outcome? Probably not. Cam Whitmore still incredibly raw. He's a much better offensive player than Jay Sean Tate, just as far as 
offensive bag goes. I think date or I think Tate date, whatever. I think Tate is a better playmaker at this point, And he's a better overall piece to plug into a team construct. Cam is still really raw, incredibly talented. Absolutely. But all it means is that these guys are going to have to really work to earn their spots, right? Nothing is going to be guaranteed to Jay Sean Tate. Nothing is going to be guaranteed to Cam Whitmore. Nothing is guaranteed to Tari or Jabari or Jalen or Dylan or Fred or KPJ. All these guys have to fight and claw to earn the minutes they're going to get. Because if you're not putting in 110% effort, there's another guy like two spots down the roster who wants those minutes, who could be plugged into those minutes if you're dragging ass, not putting the best foot forward. So that's what I, I think. I think that's going to be Jay Sean Tate's role this next season. He's going to get, he's going to play off the bench behind Dylan Brooks. He's going to get anywhere from 12 to 18, maybe 20 minutes a night, give or take. And I know a lot of Rockets fans are kind of upset about that. He's older. He's not one of the young guys, but you do need some of those stabilizing glue guy type pieces to hold together the other talent, right? You don't need four or five really raw, untapped young guys out there who are just guns blazing at all times because that's how you get really sloppy, messy basketball, right? You need guys who can be out there and make an impact who don't necessarily need the ball in their hands, who can play high-quality defense, who can do the dirty work on both sides of the basketball, who can set high-quality screens, all of that. And that's exactly what Jay Shantae brings to the table. Coming up, I want to get into some of the expectations for Amin Thompson, his rookie year, what kind of impact can we expect from him? The best style of play for this Houston Rockets team, right? What would be the best way for them to find success this upcoming season? And also, who's on my personal Rockets, Mount Rushmore, and many other questions coming up in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel America's number one sportsbook because right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets back guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use and you can bet on everything from spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. Right now, you can take a look over at FanDuel to decide who the NFL 58 outright betting favorites are. And right now it's the Kansas City Chiefs at plus 600, Philadelphia Eagles at plus 800, the Buffalo Bills at plus 900. And rounding up the top five, you have the Bengals and the 49ers at plus 1,000 apiece. Texans are bringing up the rear there at plus 18,000. 18,000 to win it all for your Texans. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, before getting into the expectations for Amin Thompson's rookie season, our next question on the mailbag list, we've got which of the players that the Rockets let go this free agency are you going to miss the most? Now, I already talked about this in the episode the other day, talking about whether or not the Rockets should bring back Usman Garuba. I will miss Garuba, but I think of all the players that the Rockets let go, I really... I'm going to miss KJ Martin a ton, mostly because he was one of the just the most genuine personalities on the entire team. He was always so open every time you had a question for him. He was very candid in his responses. He would connect with us, the the media members, like in the locker rooms, pregame, postgame. He was just a really cool dude, not to mention he was a a high-flying electric athlete. I, I made the... I made the point, though, the other day. I think that as far as ceilings of, like, 
you know, contributing quality type players. So I think Garuba might have a slightly higher ceiling as far as just a piece that can conceivably be, a, you know, a solid part of an eight, nine man roster one day, six, eight versatile defender, all that. So I do think I'm going to miss KJ Martin a lot just from his personality, some of the insane highlights, all that. But I think as far as a piece that I think could have still meant something to this team and been really impactful with Ime Odoka and the new coaching staff and the new direction, I think I'm going to miss Usman Garuba a little bit more. Next question we got, we're on to Amin Thompson. What are some tangible expectations for Amin this season? What kind of impact do you see him having uh, with being or being in with the starters or the bench unit? So with Amin, I think it's really beneficial for a lot of rookies. We saw it with Benedict Matherin, uh, you know, being able to come in as a rookie and not necessarily be given the ultimate green light and being able to almost in a way take a back seat, come off the bench, kind of learn from the guys ahead of you in the rotation, learn from the other veteran pieces around you. There's some benefit to being able to do that. And so for a men to be able to come in and not have to be the starting point guard right away, which is arguably the hardest position on the floor to learn at the NBA, or really at any level, but especially at the NBA level, right? You're quarterbacking the entire offense. So for a men to not have to come in and it, immediately shoulder that weight by himself, right? He gets to come in and kind of work himself into that position. There's going to be moments where he is able to run the offense completely with that second unit with, you know, alongside KPJ as his backcourt running running mate. There's going to be moments where he's sharing the floor with some of the starters. I think one of the most exciting kind of trios that I'm looking forward to seeing this next season is when we see Fred Van Vliet, Amin Thompson, and Jalen Green all share the floor in tandem with one another because... That's effectively your starting backcourt in Van Vliet and Jalen Green. But then you also have a Min Thompson who offensively can slot in and actually you put the ball in his hands and you play Van Vliet and Jalen off of him and space the floor with those two guys and have those guys on, on either wing. But then you have a Min Thompson running the show. And then defensively, and this is where things get so interesting when you have a six, seven point guard like a Min Thompson, is it gives you so much versatility to where he can go guard the opposing team's best player, or he can go guard the opposing team's small forward, and you're not at a mismatch, or you're not, you know, susceptible yourself to a mismatch because you have a Van Vliet and a Jalen out there and an Amin Thompson. You're not putting yourself, you know, over a barrel because you're running three guards. So I'm excited to see what he's able to do with both of those lineups. I think him coming off the bench, I think we're going to see a lot of lineups that are built to favor Amin Thompson. Like I'm fully expecting a lot of Jabari Smith Jr. at the five and some Jeff Green at the five, especially in lineups that feature Amin Thompson because they want to be able to space the floor five out. They want to be able to give him as much space as possible for him to operate so we can really see what it looks like when he's running the show but not being kind of hamstrung by a lack of floor space or being out there with another, you know, quote unquote, non-shooter. Um, but that said, we're also going to see probably a pretty steady diet of him playing alongside, you know, Alper and Shingun at times to see how he looks running a pick and roll or playing with Jock Landale and, you know, running a little one five action there with three guys spaced out on the perimeter, stuff like that. For expectations, I mean, I do think that Amin Thompson kind of has the type of game where you think that he is going to be able to make an impact as a rookie. I think it's it's rare when you see a player who can come in and be a positive impact as a rookie, but I think that given the scope of his role, the fact that he's only going to be getting anywhere from 15 to 20-ish minutes a night, it's not going to be like he's getting this, you know, 30-plus minute load to where he's going to be able to make a lot of mistakes and have a lot of issues. 
And I'm expecting Emeo Doka to hold him accountable just like every other player on this roster, right? He comes in a little bit young or a little bit older than some of his peers, a little bit older than Jalen and Jabari when they came to the league. And I think there's going to be a different set of expectations for him where if Emeo Doka sees him doing something wrong or he blows a defensive coverage or whatever, the leash might not be super loose or there might not be a super long leash, I I should say, this time around for the Rockets rookies as opposed to these past couple years where Jalen and Jabari were given free reign to make as many as as many mistakes as they wanted to make and there were no consequences whatsoever. If Amin Thompson goes out there and starts making mistakes left, right, and center, then I fully expect Emo Doka to rein him in and say, hey, this is where you're wrong, this is what's going on, and this is why I'm benching you so that you can focus on these mistakes and get them cleaned up because those are mistakes that we can't exactly afford to have out there. But it's, it's also this weird balancing act of how do you prioritize wanting to play winning basketball but also wanting to make sure you get enough developmental run in there for your number four overall pick in Amin Thompson. As far as style of basketball, which is the next question that we have on the table for these guys, um, it's really tough to say. You you look up and down this roster and you think a really fast-paced, run-and-gun style, you know, with so many athletes on this roster, getting them out in transition is going to be almost the bread and butter of this team. But I feel like it's almost lazy to say, you know, for a team to say, oh, yeah, our priority is to get out in transition and get easy, easy baskets, right? You need to have more to your offensive identity than just, okay, we want to get out and run. We want to get out and be fast, right? That's the, like, blanket type of uh, offensive goals that a bad team wants to throw out there. That's exactly what the Rockets said last season. They were like, we're going to get out there. We're going to be fast. We're going to be young. We're going to be exciting. And they were a dumpster fire. I have been beating this drum for so long and I will continue to do so. And I'm hopeful that we are finally going to see it put into effect is just lean into Alper and Shingun already lean into the dynamic playmaking big who is uber talented, who can make life easier for his teammates, who can create opportunities for others, who demands a double team consistently when he has the basketball lean into him as your point center, your offensive fulcrum, your shin hub, whatever you want to call it, whatever cutesy little name you want to give it, involve Alperin Shingun more offensively. And yes, there's going to be versions of this team that are playing without LP on the floor. There's going to be versions of the team with Jabari at the five, or you're playing small ball, or maybe with Jock Landale out there. Sure, there's going to be plenty of iterations of this team that do not involve Alperin Shingun. And even when he's on the floor, it doesn't mean he has to touch the basketball every single time down. It doesn't mean that every single play has to be run through him. But I would like to see an honest effort put forward by the coaching staff, by Emeo Doka and company, to run some offense through Alperin Shingun, to get creative with how they generate offensive looks for guys like Jalen Green, like Jabari Smith Jr., like Fred Van Vliet, using Alperin Shingun as the focal point offensively to draw the attention of the defense. That's what NBA basketball is all about, right? It's all about creating an offensive advantage. And when you have better, more talented players, you're able to more easily create an offensive advantage. Alperin Shingun is quite oftentimes a better, more talented big than the other team has. Or even if he's not arguably more talented, he makes himself look like he is more talented when he's matched up against opposing bigs because there's very few bigs in the NBA that can actually one-on-one check Alperin Shingun without having to foul him. And if you send a double team at him, he's smart enough to find the open man to kick the basketball back out. And then that's easy offense, right? That's how you break down a defense and then you create easy opportunities for the other guys on the floor. So I've said it again. I've said it once. I've said it 
twice. I've said it 17 million times. I'm going to continue to say it. I would like to see them lean into Alper and Shingun offensively this next season. And I do think that based on everything that we know about Ime Odoka and how he wants to play basketball, how he wants guys to be unselfish, that he does uh, already really enjoy the idea, at least in theory, behind Alper and Shingun's passing ability as a big. And the fact that we've seen Al Horford kind of op, you know, occupy a similar esque role with the one year that Ime Odoka was with the Boston Celtics. I think we're actually going to finally see Shinhub in full effect. Coming up, want to get into the final questions here about some of the coverage to be expecting this next season. What is realistically a successful season for the Rockets, plus my own personal Houston Rockets Mount Rushmore. We're going to get there in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets. Now, Next question we've got on the list. Will you interview any of the players pre and post game once the regular season starts? Absolutely. That's what I do. So as soon as Rockets basketball is back, uh, we will have the pre and post game interviews. And I decided to do things a little bit differently uh, probably about a month or so, or basically around summer league time. For a while last season, I was running kind of both channels. I had the LOR YouTube channel and then I had my own personal YouTube channel where I was publishing all of the interviews and all that stuff. I just decided to combine the two and and just start posting all of the uh, player interviews, whether they're pre and post game interviews, whether it's random rockets events, all of that. You can find all of that. It's all going to be now located on the LOR YouTube account. So from here until I stop talking about Rockets basketball, all the interviews will always be posted there. So there's already a couple that are up, uh, some recent ones from Jabari Smith Jr. and Cam Whitmore doing some community events here in Houston. So you can go check those out. But every single pre and post post game interview, practice interview, shoot arounds, all of that should all be available on the LOR YouTube channel this upcoming season. Yes, and I did thankfully due to some... Uh, or not due to, but uh, with some help from some of the uh, awesome individuals in the Rockets digital and videography department, I was able to procure some upgrades to my mobile interview setup. So hopefully the sound quality and video quality and stuff will be a little bit better this time around for the player interviews that we're going to have throughout the regular season. So be on the lookout for all of that right here on the LOR YouTube. Uh, who do you predict to be your Rockets MVP, DPOI, and most improved player this year? I First off, I want to say I love this question, and I actually I love this question so much, I want to turn it into a full episode. So I'm going to um, I'm gonna have to cop out on this answer momentarily uh, because I want to do this as a full episode with one of our weekly co-hosts, which is a perfect time to tee up that starting next week. So starting with, uh, I believe, Labor Day? Whatever, whatever the Monday holiday is, Labor Day. Um... We'll be back to five days a week. August was super relaxed, uh, very infrequent on the episode front as it goes kind of every offseason. We hit the dog days of the NBA offseason and things get kind of really chill here at LOR as, as it does for the for the entire Locked On Network. Um, but starting, uh, I believe, September, September 4th. Yeah, we'll be back in the swing of things uh, five days a week. All of your usual sus- suspects, your weekly co-hosts, Madison, Ben, Ali Khan and Frank will all be back in rhythm uh, here on the show once per week. So it should be a ton of a ton of fun. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, But again, we will tackle the MVP DPOY and most improved player on another episode because I really like that question. And I feel like that warrants a full discussion, not just a uh, a quick segment in a mailbag episode. So shout out to that that question asker because that one was fantastic. Um, What is realistically a successful season for the Rockets? I think this question is going to vary no matter who, depending on who you ask. 
Um, some people will say it, it, it's uh, not a successful season if they don't make the play-in tournament. I think that's a bit harsh because you look at the state of the Western Conference and, in fact, I want to actually pull this up. I should have had it pulled up before I started talking in this segment, but RIP, terrible show prep. We're going, we're filling, we're talking, and what, where are the standings? Okay, there it is. Thank you. Um, anyways, you look at the state of the Western Conference last season. The Mavericks missed the playoffs and they won 38 games. The Jazz missed the playoffs. They won 37. The Blazers won 33. The Rockets and Spurs were realistically the only two teams that did not care at all about making the playoffs in the West. And we're basically doing that same thing again this next season. There are 13 teams out of 15 in the Western Conference that would like to probably make the playoffs. The only two teams that probably don't care at all about the playoffs are the Spurs, and then you just flip the Blazers for the Rockets. So of those 13 teams... Which three are going to be left out of the playoff picture entirely, right? Do you look at the Rockets leapfrogging the Utah Jazz or the Dallas Mavericks at 37 and 38 wins? Um, My spicy hot take is I think we might see a Western Conference that doesn't have a team crack 50 wins, honestly. We'll have the Denver Nuggets who are on a championship hangover and... You know, they're going to be trying to rest guys. They're not nearly as deep as they were last season, losing key contributors like Bruce Brown and Jeff Green. So I think there's a world where maybe the Denver Nuggets take things a little bit easier in the regular season. We see some more rest games for Nikola Jokic and some of their other key contributors. I don't necessarily think the Nuggets could crack 50 wins. And then the Grizzlies were the only other team in the West that cracked 50 wins. And they're going to be missing John Morant for a chunk of the season. So there's very realistically a world where the West, as stacked as, as it is, you see a West that's way more flattened out to where there could be teams that win close to 40 games or even break into the 40 game, 40 win territory, and they don't even make the play in tournament, right? The New Orleans Pelicans were the final team in, or I apologize, the OKC Thunder were the final team in the play in tournament this past go around at a 40 and 42 record. And I think there could be a team that hits 40 wins and doesn't even sniff the play in tournament this next season. So when you look at some of the, expectations for this team next year. I've penciled in 35 wins. I think 35 wins would be a fantastic, uh, you know, improvement compared to where this team was last year at 22 wins. A 13 win jump is almost unheard of. So for me, even though phase two is officially started and we're looking at a Rockets team that wants to start winning again, wants to start playing meaningful basketball games, wants to get back to the playoffs, all that. I think it's a bit harsh to judge Emi Odoka and the veterans that are brought in and this young group of guys if they don't make the playoffs. I think if you see tangible progress being made, if you see this team taking those steps towards improvement where maybe they win 35 games or they win 37 or 38 and they're right on the precipice of making the play-in tournament and it's just because the Western Conference is such a bloodbath that they miss out, not because they're a bad team that they missed out, but just because it's so hard to come by some wins, I think that should still absolutely be you know, categorized as a very successful season. And then you have to look at the internal growth of some of these guys, right? I think that's more so how you're going to judge how the Rockets look this next season is, do we see Jalen Green take a leap? Do we see Al P take a leap? Does Jabari look better? Does Tari look better? How did the, how does Ime Odoka incorporate Amin Thompson as a rookie compared to what we saw Steven Silas do with Jalen and Jabari these past two seasons? I think there are a million different ways that you can gauge and judge how well this team does, you know, and kind of the expectations for this team without just looking at the wins and losses uh, in the record book, at least 
for me personally. So I think a successful season entails a few different things. Um, but I think it's much more than just the, at the end of the day, just the wins and loss losses, uh, in the, uh, record book. Uh, last couple questions here. Uh, do you think the Rockets will see a bigger gain from their starting unit or bench unit this year? In other words, what will help us get more wins this season? Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks starting over KPJ and KJ slash EG or KPJ and Amen coming off the bench over Knicks and Josh Christopher? That's a fantastic question. And I actually want to revisit this. I'm going to have to remember to revisit this. And somewhere like in the middle part of the season, I want to go in and dig in and see what the like on off numbers look like. Uh, with KPJ and a men as like a two man unit versus say like Knicks and Christopher as a two man. I don't know. I want to go and like actually dig into some of the deeper meaning number or deep, deep seated numbers behind this, because I do think it's a really interesting question. I think that Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks are going to probably bring more to the starters. If only because they're going to bring so much more defensively than their counterparts did. And I think, that adding Van Vliet and Brooks to the starting unit is going to do wonders for elevating the play of guys like Jalen and Jabari and Shingoon, right? The Rockets defense last year was Swiss cheese adding two fantastic point of attack defenders in Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks is going to elevate the defense considerably. You also now have a bit more added pressure on Jabari to hold up his end of the bargain of being a good defender. Shingoon won't look nearly as bad as he did because you'll have better perimeter defense. And then with all these other guys playing solid defense, you're going to have Jalen Green, who isn't going to want to be the one dragon ass of the starters. So he's probably going to be playing better defense because you've got all five guys or three of the other five starters around him playing exceptional defense. So I think the starters are going to see, see a very significant boost from Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks in the starting lineup. But Amin Thompson and KPJ has a, has a lot of potential to be a very, very exciting backcourt duo. And for all the strife that we've been through with KPJ, for all the ups and the downs with KPJ, I have said so many different times, and I will continue to echo this sentiment. I think that him being moved into this new role and, and taken away from the starting lineup and, and hopefully being given yet another second chance, but with Ime Odoka, I guess, to embody this sixth man role and get back to his roots, I think it's going to be a fantastic shift for him. And I think mentally... As long as he embraces the role, I think we could see the best version of KPJ that we've seen to this point in a Rockets jersey. I know we've seen some spectacular stuff out of him, but him getting back to his roots, playing that dynamic two-guard off the bench, and playing it in tandem with Amin Thompson where he's able to play more off-ball, where Amin Thompson can create opportunities for him to be a catch-and-shoot threat because we know he's a fantastic catch-and-shoot player. He could sneakily be... One in the race for six man of the year this next season. I would not be shocked if the Rockets are playing some high level basketball, if they're chasing a playoff spot, KPJ might be in the six man of the year conversation. Oh, pardon me. All right. Final question we've got here. Ooh. All right. Thank God for the mute button. Um, who is on your Mount Rushmore of all time Houston Rockets players? I love this question because it's different no matter who you ask. Um, it's a fun one to close out on. And definitely let me know, give me your Mount Rushmore of Houston Rockets players in the YouTube comments because I'm so curious to see what everybody else thinks. But conventional wisdom says that the first two spots should be absolute locks. And that's Hakeem Olajuwon, number one. You can't go with without Hakeem. And then James Harden has to be number two. He's the second greatest player in franchise history. So those first two spots are easy. 
it's the spots three and four that get a little complicated. Now, the person who asked me this said Houston Rockets players. So if we're just going by caliber of player, I feel like I have to say Moses Malone and then Clyde Drexler. Now, if we're going about, if we're going with their overall importance to the organization, what they meant to the Rockets organizationally, then I change my answer to Calvin Murphy and Yao Ming. And then there's a bit of a mix of both where if you factor in his time as the head, as the head coach, then I think Rudy T takes on, takes that third spot very easily. In fact, I think there's an argument to be made to put Rudy T over James Harden at number two on the Mount Rushmore of Houston Rockets, we'll say individuals rather than just players. Because when you combine Rudy T's playing career plus his coaching career as the greatest coach in Houston Rockets history, it's almost an unfair balance. Um, but that's why I think the, the answer is always so interesting because you get the old heads who talk about, well, Rudy T is a player plus his coaching. Um, and then in that last one, if, if I'm going Rudy T in that regard, I, I think I would probably go Rudy. T, I'd go with a combination. I go Rudy T and I think I'd probably still put Yao on there. Maybe there's a little bit of my own bias in there because I really started to fall in love with basketball. Like Steve Francis maybe fall in love, like got me into basketball. But then T-Mac and Yao made me really fall in love with the game. And so I'll always have a bit of a bias and affinity towards anything Yao Ming related. But then when you look at his impact, not only for the Houston Rockets, just his player impact, the fact that he was, you know, an all-star every year of his career, he could have gone down as one of the greatest bigs of all time, such a unique player. But then what he did for the game past just the on-court presence, right? He bridged two countries between America and China. He helped really make basketball a globalized sport. Uh, and I don't know, yeah, I was just an awesome dude. So such a wholesome individual. Uh, it, it's hard to leave him off of that list, but I'm so curious. Give me your thoughts on your Houston Rockets, Mount Rushmore. Drop your Mount Rushmores in the YouTube comments. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast. And on YouTube, just search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.